Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Today's episode is sponsored by Narked at 90, so let's find out a bit more about them. Narked at 90, their tagline has been beyond technical, which describes them pretty well. John Routley and Brent Hudson launched the company over 20 years ago. They are both technical divers who have logged thousands of mixed gas dives between them over a 30-year period. Using their engineering know-how and diving expertise have developed bespoke personal, commercial and military diving equipment and products of a universally recognised unparalleled calibre. Their ability to be adaptive and versatile with their developments led them to support the NHS during COVID. Using their superior knowledge of breathing and oxygen monitoring systems to help develop emergency ventilators. They also design and supply the sneaky stuff used by defence-based development groups throughout the Western world, although they can't tell us much about that. If you're thinking of moving across to tech diving or completely new to diving, Narked at 90 can advise and guide on the best equipment and setup for your personal or commercial requirements. Narked at 90 have unparalleled experience of shearwater dive computers and are the longest serving and sole and UK European service centre for those. They are happy to offer technical support, servicing, repairs and upgrades to all shearwater computers, past and present. Narked at 90 stock shearwater computers, but are also stockers and technical support centre for many other manufacturers, including Divesoft, JJCCR, Hollis, Revo and Kiss Rebreathers. Based centrally in the UK, Narked at 90 also offer full rebreather head servicing for selected manufacturers. Bespoke cable assemblies. Advice on specific fitting requirements. Suggestions and guidance for home builds. Computer laser cutting and engraving. Pressure testing to simulate 400 metre dives. So, Narked at 90, a reputation built on supporting both manufacturers and divers worldwide. Go to narkedat90.com and make sure you are following their social media to keep up to date with their latest news and offers. Narked at 90, large enough to cope, small enough to care. Hello everyone, we are at Narked at 90 in Wellingborough in the UK. Uh, we've come to see our podcast sponsors, John and Brent. So welcome to Yay. the Big Scuba Podcast. Welcome <laughs> to the Big Scuba Podcast. That's, that's John, that's Brent. Hello. Right, well, it's really good to see you guys. So John, do you just want to say who you are and a little bit about you? Yeah, I'm John Routley. I guess I started diving when I was about 14, so a very long time ago now. Um, I'm the director and founder of Night at 90. Um, that started best part of 20 years ago in a shed. Um, in front room, in fact. Front room, yeah, front room, then into the garage, then into a big shed in a field, and now into the factory that we've got here. Yep, oh. which is where we are today, yeah. And what about you, Brent? Yeah, the other founding director of NARC, and um, yeah, found myself meeting up with this bloke at uh, an inland dive site with gear cobbled together out bits and pieces, and he thought, I like him because his gear's crap. Because <laughs> it fell apart, and you know, I threw a rebreather off its tank valve in one cell just because they want to get out of the water. And John thought, I like him even more now. And next yeah. thing you know, we started making stuff oh, I think in this front room. We first went diving with spanners in our pockets to sort of 
fixings along the way uh, wow. as we went. So. <laughs> oh, sort of what, in the water? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, I get the odd little leak from a fitting or valve. So well, just you don't need an ADV underwater to breathe from, so you can fix it and then put it back on. We shouldn't really say that on, on, on microphone and camera, but it was the nineties. Health and safety was a little bit more lax in those days. Yeah, so at the point you met, you were both rebreathing divers. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, what happened was that um, we were rebreathing divers, but we were home builders. Now, back in the nineties, there wasn't a great deal of this stuff. You know, there was a Yahoo News group. You know, people like Tracy Robinette and Paul Rainmarkers and you know, so Dave Thompson, Dave, Dave Thompson. We were all just members of a, of a little group, but we just chatted about stuff and. It was pioneering at that point, mm. you know, and, and John and I, we, we hit it off as friends. We really did. We're, you know, we're both as stupid as each other, to be honest with you. And I think that's why we liked each other. <laughs> and, you know, first time we met was at this inland site and um, I was running a, a needle valve for oxygen control on a converted dolphin rebreather. You right. know, so, so what is a needle? So you got, uh, I mean, basically, just like the, the tap on your sink, okay. the more you open it, the more water comes out. This is right. a very, very fine mitrometric metering valve they use for gases. Okay. It's mainly for industrial process, where you can allow just a few litres a minute of gas through at a you know, uh, pressure, and that's how I regulate the amount of oxygen that went into the rebreather right. to, um, you know, for metabolism. It was simple as that. So, you know, I'd be flying this off the needle valve, and the needle valve blocked. So I ran it off the tank valve instead, and John thought, He's actually not a bad lad, actually. So we hit it off, and, and we had ideas. You know, we were making stuff. Yeah, nobody else made. A lot, a lot of stuff wasn't available. The sort of stuff we've got now, back then, wasn't available. You couldn't go in a shop and buy some of this rebreather equipment. So it was, if you can't buy it, but we wanted it. So you engineered it. Engineered it. Think about any hobby, whether you're into cycling or motorcycling or motor cars or any hobby that you want where there's equipment involved, and you can't for people fettle. People modify, you know, you, you, you put equipment on your bike to make it the way you want it to be, yeah. you know. This is exactly the same, we fettled, and, but because the diving we were doing was becoming you know, quite, quite adventurous, that kind of fettling obviously just seemed a little bit extreme. But it's really, that it, it wasn't, it yeah. was just, we knew exactly what we wanted, nobody had it, and we came up with ideas like, what about this, oh, that's a good idea, what if we did it that way? And between the two of us, we had ideas, John had a lathe and a shed, uh, a lathe and a mill in his shed in the backyard, and, and we'd make two. So come up with ideas, we'd make two. We'd get on a boat, and someone'd be like, oh, what's that? Where do you get that from? I want one. And this is kind of where the name Narta Ninety came from, because it was like, well, what are we gonna do? So we'd make two. Yeah. So instead, we'd make 10. And what we'd do is we'd sell eight to pay for our two. It was a hobby, yeah. right, and that was it. So where do you buy it from? Now John's username on the forum was narked at ninety. Narked at ninety, right? Yeah. It was just it was just a name, right? Mine was Dive the World. So it was like, well, we got a website and we got a stupid PayPal button because somebody said, where do you get that widget from? <laughs> that bloke narked at ninety. That's how it came from. Ah. That bloke narked at ninety, right? Now you have to spell that very carefully because if you miss out the R, it's a very different website. <laughs> yes. Just want to make sure that's clear, right? Yeah. So. We had this, I mean, we look at the, the website now, I mean, the, the historical, you've got the old copies of stuff, and you look at it and you think that is just so tragically embarrassing, <laughs> right? The words looks awful, but nevertheless, it's part of sold eight, oh, paid for two, sure. and that was it. We just did that, you know? Yeah. And we enjoyed it. It, it. Whenever you do something that you love, mm. you tend to do it well. You do, yeah. You know, and I tend to find it's the same as in business. People tend to employ the person rather than the company. Yeah. So if you have people which are really good, really invested, and really love and 
and they're invested in what they're doing, like everybody else in here is, that's how you grow and become good. Yeah. So that's how it really started. And in 2007, we got the Global Award for Innovation, which you can see that globe there in the cabinet. Yeah. And in 2010, we got the European Award for Innovation, which is there, and somewhere we've got an outstanding contribution stuff. And somewhere in between, we got our first purchase order from NATO Research. Right. Because the stuff we did was different. So were you doing this full time? Did you have daytime no, jobs? No. Was, are you engineers? By I was the director of a uh, certification company, seventeen thousand employees worldwide, the world leaders in engineering and certification. Yeah. John was um, engineering and maintenance. It, we both had day jobs. This was just fun, and it just got it got too much wow. for us to do it. Now, obviously, Nart wasn't making money. It, it was it was a hobby. Yeah, but it was. It, it was that this, that point, and I remember it very well when John said, I'm going to jack it in and do this full time. <laughs> but there wasn't Have fun all the time, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it was I, mean, I, wasn't, I wasn't paying myself. So mm. the, the day job was paying the bills, and mm. NARP was every penny that came in from every sale went straight back into NARP to mm. develop a new product. So for, for years, I didn't because we loved it. Money. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot yeah. of fun. We were having a lot of fun with it. So, so John handed his notice and decided to do this full time. And we was never going to make any money for both of us. So, you know, it, it, but that was the way it was, you know. And we've always been the best of friends, always. You know, we have ultimate faith and trust and loyalty to each other. And it's always been that way. And we've enjoyed that yeah. for decades now. For, you know, that's about 20 years now we've been best friends as well. So, you know, John doing this and me still doing it with him, but having a day job was just normal. Mm. You know, um, in 2011, uh, my company had set up businesses throughout the UK for the company and they wanted to then relocate back and I didn't want to. So I took a golden handshake and left. And my whole idea was, I'll just drop on the diving business with John now. And yeah. that was it. Didn't work that way because the company now has expanded and we've got three companies under the group umbrella and we're doing all sorts of things for, you know, for everybody from BA Systems, Military Air through to Carlsberg Drinks. We've got, yeah. you know, the company's quite significant broad now but for the diving side of it then it was just John and I and, and it kind of grew so we set um, we premises in Findon which um, we've always lovingly called and affectionately called the shed because <laughs> it looked like the shed but it was actually the old Unilever uh, Unilever as in the it company research it was their research right. lab okay. yeah. so it was pretty cool you know yeah. but you know we, we were fortunate with that so uh, we set up there and it grew and of course when it gets to the point where you can't handle things by <coughs> yourselves and you start to need employees things start to grow so we moved again to the premises where we are right now, which yeah. um, hopefully... That's a big step of faith from going from um, when you leave your job to then going into the business, but it's an even bigger step when you then take on staff. It's, it's, a, big, it's, it's a big, scary, it's a big scary thing. Yeah. 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 You're responsible for staff, buildings, yeah. everything else. I'll tell you how it is, and, and it's, it's a long-running joke within the company, is that I come up with a stupid idea because mm -hmm. I've always had an ethos of saying yes and then figuring out how the hell we're going to do it later. Yeah. John looks at me, rolls his eyes, and then he makes yeah. it happen. So here's the way, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so he'll look at me and say, for God's sake, and then he will then make it happen. Okay, well, that's really cool. Um, so tell us about your diving world. You've been, you've been diving a long time. Um, John and I have very different backgrounds when it comes to diving in the beginning, before we aligned ourselves, when we first met and started making the rebreather stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, because I've been diving so long, I started off sort of diving with BSAC in, in the UK, you know, gravel pits and, you know, and, 
I was 14, so wow. uh, yeah, a very long time ago. But your family um, was also Yeah, my, my brother Dave Rowley uh, was a, a diving instructor. Um, his best mate was Lee Bishop, who okay. learned to dive, so we all was learning to dive around. Yeah, all familiar names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So people, people don't, don't realise, oh yeah, Lee Bishop is local, yeah. uh, so that's a lot of my, um, so people don't realise actually we go back that far. Yeah, that's amazing, yeah. Uh, my brother was a, a deep air guy, diving, channeling. And I've been lucky enough to dive all around the world. Um, after I sort of finished with BSAC, I, I got a, 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 we were spying on hotels for Hazen Jarvis. Um, so we'd get flown out all around the world to go and write reports on hotels. And part of our cover was um, they gave us a diving holiday to go and spy on a hotel. Yeah. So I, I had to go and do a paddy open walk course, even though I was a, a, a BSAC seasoned diver <laughs> spying on a hotel um, but we got to st spend time in Egypt and, and all different parts of the world wow. so I've been lucky enough to dive everywhere mm. absolutely everywhere it was only in the last maybe uh, 25 years that it was more back to the UK I was sort of diving in all around the world every I've been to so many countries and did you do obviously you did open water advanced did <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, did you the, progress the, I went through the whole system with mm. Paddy um, Trained, I, I don't fit well in people's groups, so I don't like to be told what to do. I tend to do my own thing. Not um, a club diver. No, I'm not a club diver. <laughs> no. Um, so I went through the Paddy system as well as the BSAC system, and it got to the point and where Paddy wanted me to then start looking at being DM or mm. instructor. It just wasn't for me. It's more technical, more equipment based that that I really sort of yes. get involved with. So I sort of pulled out the Paddy system and. and that just doing my own thing, uh, and and not long after that we started sort of developing our own equipment and and going back to where we first started this podcast, you know, so developing our own kit together. Yeah. Uh, and then after we start doing that, you're doing a lot of shore dives, but also you're testing equipment. So you're you're in Stony Cove, you're in you're in the pits and the quarries, you know, testing equipment. It stops being fun when you have to go out on the weekend, no matter what the weather is. It, it you does, have to yeah, test that kit. yeah. It does, it, it does take away a bit of the fun when you, you're not getting to do what you really want to do. You got to get this equipment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think Brent's diving was very different to mine yeah. in the early days. So what got you started? Well, I was on holiday and I just did one of these paddy courses in the hotel, and um, and it was really really quite cool. I was out in Thailand, and I remember my instructor. Waifat um, Musaudi, his name was, who's a, a little guy from Bali, I think he was. Um, and he was just such a cool dude, you know? And he got us through it, and I was crap. I was absolutely <laughs> garbage at the very beginning, but I loved it. When I came home, I thought, well, I've got this patio water, I really should be using this. So I joined a BZAC club and, you know, got myself through to Sport Diver. And it was hard work, to be honest with you, once you got into cold water. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't the best at all. And, and I joined a uh, Sobacco Association club in the Northeast, SAA 875, and um, the guys and girls in that club were brilliant, but they were more friends than it was a club. Mm. The fact that we had a club name to it was irrelevant to the fact, you know? So we went out diving, and that's when I started playing with reed breathers, and started off with a, with a dolphin, semi-closed, and I thought, this isn't good enough, but I could modify it. I'm an engineer, a time-served engineer. I've been an engineer all my life, you know. What so, made you want to do rebreather diving? Was it just to I'm say, a gadget man. Just so it's more the equipmenty side of things. I've, I've always been fascinated by anything which is new and different, and if it can be done, I want to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, 
it was kind of that really you know and wanting to know how things work yeah once you know how they work you think but why don't they use that in this well I could make that work in this oh hello there's this guy called John Rowley he has the same ideas and we start doing things together so um, we were both running things like dolphin um, semi-closed we made them fully closed we ran kiss valves on them we ran magnetic metering valves on them we started then we started looking at things like the oxygen monitoring. But nevertheless, that diving then went started to go deeper, then started messing with full face and communications. Then I started changing gas because helium isn't really good for cons. Hey, why don't I try something like neon? Yeah, yeah. Remember the neon yeah. days? So I was always experimenting. If it was something new, John would shake his head and then he would help me make it happen. So, uh, I mean, I stopped logging down. It's quite a partnership like that, isn't it? We're, we're a very unique partnership, actually. Mm -hmm. You see businesses fail so much and you've got partners and one's trying to get something over on the other one. Me and Brent are not like that at all. No. There's no ego in it at all. No. If, if he does well on something, I'm chuffed to bits for it. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, we well, there's the, some of the people that, well, he's doing right, I'm a bit jealous of that, you know, that, that we just don't have that. No, no it's special. Yeah. So uh, I stopped logging dives at my, I think it was my 1,000th mixed gas CCR dive, wow. was the last one that I actually wrote down. Wow. Uh, so yeah, done quite a lot. Um, Everywhere, most of the diving has been in the in the UK around the northeast and you know the cold and deep and yeah. wreck finding stuff. But I've always been a wreck diver. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always liked that. You know, we we would spend weekends going through the hydrographic survey trying to find marks. Then we'd charter a boat and we'd go out there and we'd ping those marks to find ones that were interesting. You know, <laughs> so you say then it's so the yeah. unexplored wrecks. Yeah. So which you're not see, quite certain how they are. Exactly, so you find something on the hydrographic survey, it'd be like um, seabed, clear at 82 metres, upright and intact structure, 6 metres high, 50 metres long, you think, ooh, <laughs> that one's on the list. And then we go out for a weekend and we dive them up, and we found things like the Hogarth and the Snaefell, you know, the Snaefell was a paddle steamer to use a minesweeper, it was the old Waverley. Yeah. I think that one hit the ITN news. Then you got the Hogarth wreck, which was just a, a paddle steamer, second class passengers and cargo and it travelled twice a week between Aberdeen and London. But finding that wreck, this is this is the kind of stuff that really, really lights my fire. I don't want to spend too much time on, on those mm. kind of things, but finding that wreck, finding the bell made you want to find more about it. Yeah. So then you found out, you know, the, the skipper, Captain David Stephen, he got the Lloyd Silver Medal for bravery, which was one of the highest awards you can possibly get in the Merchant Navy. And he got that for pulling his ship alongside another one while it was under attack by a torpedo and rescuing everybody on board. Wow, amazing. So yeah, while it was being attacked by a torpedo, yeah. by U-boat, he pulled his boat alongside and rescued all the souls. Yeah. The week that he got his silver medal, his boat was hit with the loss of all souls but one 19-year-old um, gunner who was found after 30 hours at sea. So. It's that kind of story. You think this is amazing. You've got these people who are so brave that, you know, even today, you think by our standards, um, it would be very difficult to try and equate yeah. the kind of people that these people are. And their social history should be known. Yeah. It was the social history that really got me from an emotional point of view. Mm. These tales had to be told. So finding the Hogarth, that became something that was became aware. And I got a, a call from Meredith Grabbing, who was the curator of the Aberdeen Maritime Museum, and said, mm. we're putting on a show. 100 years of shipping, could we have some of your, uh, your brass? You know, like the bell and the crockery and stuff, you know, mm. all receiver of wreck stuff, you know, it's, it's all about do it right, yes. you do it right, you know? So absolutely, so um, I took the stuff up to the museum myself. 
there it is, you know, absolutely, this is what it should be. And she did a talk, and this is the whole point of this. She did a talk about um, 100 years of shipping, she was talking about the Hogarth and what it did in the story. And at the end of her talk at the museum, uh, an old woman with her daughter came to the front with a, with a bundle of uh, postcards wrapped up in a, in a piece of string. And her father was one of the um, crew mm -hmm. above the uh, Hogarth. And he used to write postcards home every week, twice a week, whatever, just saying, you know, what was happening on board. And, yeah. and there was a complete record of the social history of the life of what it was like to be aboard one of these with some of the most brave and incredible It brings people. it alive for us, not no, no longer just this cold piece of metal anymore. You know, there was an existence. It was once a flourishing so, ship and everything. So that, right. that exhibition, that talk, and now the social history of these postcards, which could have had, you know, when people pass on, you think, what happens to that? Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, it ends up in a box somewhere, someone says, I don't know what those are, and they get destroyed, or you, you never find out this. So learning about things like the Snaefell, and which was P.S. Barry, then the Waverley, and it was used as a you know, minesweeper off yeah. Sunderland, and what happened to it, the Hogarth, and Captain David Stephen, and the bravery of his crew, yeah, and a little 19-year-old lad who, 30 yeah. hours at sea, not only that, but now people know what happened to them. Yeah. They can now mark that wreck as a war grave for the Snaefell. Mm. So that now will not be interfered with and those people can be respected as they should be. Yeah. And the people of Hogarth can then be remembered. It's that that makes it special. And I think that's what really got me involved diving and that's why I continue to be a wreck diver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for a lot of people would never get that history. Right? They, they'll go down to a known wreck and go, oh, that's a pile of steel, that's great, nice dive know more about it. Yeah. They, they, don't, they don't understand what went before. And it's important that actually people do. Yes. Yeah. 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 A lot of this stuff. Certainly, you know, there's been um, boats sunk recently, you know, people want to remember that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't just forget. No. Mm. No, they all had life and, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I love wrecks. Uh, Norway, those wrecks are absolutely fantastic. Um, UK wrecks. Yeah. I so guess with, with the UK diving, right, people are, it's a question you get asked the most when you're a UK diver, or for me anyway. Where do you dive? And you say, mm. you're, you're on an island, right? We're, we're surrounded by water. And people sort of forget that you're on an island. I, I'm on an island. And uh, well, what do you see? It's well, if you take a little black point for every known neck and you put little points around the UK, there's a big black band yeah. Yeah. Uh, of known wrecks. And that's thousands just a known of, one. You know? Thousands of wrecks yeah. beyond 50 metres still in the unknown on the Adriatic Survey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's well, no shortage. The Norfolk coast, suddenly, you know, the Gloucester they found, didn't yeah. they? And, yeah. you know, we, it's just brought it alive for people, you know, mm. all these different wrecks out there. Uh, but there's more to it than that. I mean, some of our, our really good friends, uh, they dive a lot of inland sites and what we call muddy holes, really. Yeah. Okay, it's affectionately called that. So, you know, mm. I mean, you've had plenty of uh, instances of diving in muddy holes and climbing through the yeah, bottom and stuff. Well, places we shouldn't really be. Um, Dorothea Quarry, uh, it's been a good one, I think, for, for both of us. And that's where we tested most of our kit before we went out in the ocean. Is it? Yeah. Tested, yeah. I mean, a lot in the early days when um, things were very much, should we say, um, built on ideas rather than engineering, if you will. <laughs> You know, how do you test this stuff? Okay, so somebody has to put it in the back and then go in the water. That's so my arm went up as a volunteer for that every single time. <laughs> so, you know, you do it in a controlled environment, but you still yeah. need to do this stuff deep. Yeah. You know, so you needed to go down to the 88 shelf. You need to go to the 80 ton. You need to go to the little box at 104 and stick your name on it, you know, <laughs> and the test stuff. And I remember back in 2004, in 2005, when we made the very first rebreather controller with a shear water control system on. 
the very first rebreather, other than Bruce and Liam's own personal kit, that had a commercially ap application for a rebreather was the Deep Pursuit. Mm. It's the first rebreather ever controlled by a shoe water. Don't have one in the display case, they're completely all sold off. But. And uh, I needed to test it, but we were, we were supposed to be diving. And obviously, with a new group of divers, people don't want to spend time in a freshwater hole. <coughs> they want to go out and dive the wrecks, and so yeah. did I. Yeah. So it was a compromise that I needed to test the deep pursuit this weekend and an actual dive, not just couch diving and bench testing. I needed to get it wet. So it was an inspiration rebreather control system replacement, so it was a head replacement completely. Right. So the idea was that we'd go out and we'd drop into the bay in like six or seven meters just in the shallows, get salt water but controlled, drop in, test it out, get back on the boat, then go out and do one of the deep wrecks. Mm. Um, we ran out of time, we went out and uh, we went on this wreck and I went down to the bottom and it was about 54 meters, it was, an, it was a decent sized wreck, Lafonia I think it was, and the, the classic inspiration failed. Yeah. I just got down the shot line, I tied in, I tied in the anchor, uh, tied in the shot line, sent the anchor back up, as you usually do, you know, did all that. Everybody else is starting their dive and mine just went up, you know, it went US. So I had to go back up the boat, you know, um, everybody else stayed on the wreck. When it comes to buddy diving, it's sort of it, back then it was sort of the same ocean. You know, if you're in the yeah. same water, you consider buddy diving, <laughs> right? So, um, so I got back on the boat and I got up there and, and I was really, really annoyed. Okay, and the skipper came and said, "You know, it's a long slack; you can get back down." I think it's only fifty-four meters. It's not like I'm getting a bit decoded. Okay, you know what? I know what the rules are and stuff, but sometimes thing it was a bounce. So I stripped the head off. You know, put the deepest suit back on, clamped it on, and then bent down there. And then I was like, "How did you get back down? Here? What are you doing here?" Then they saw this brand new control mirror, so I'm, I'm showing off here you know, like a like a little kid saying, "Wow, look at this!" And you know, they're shaking the beans at me for doing a 54 meter dive on a prototype that's never been wet before. But um, it never failed, and from then on, I mean, thousands and thousands of hours. What's the failure rate? 0.004% or something. Yeah, I mean, they've been out they're around the market 15 years. You've got tens of thousands of dives on these units, and we, they never come back. Nice. Occasionally, see them back for a, a service. Um, they just don't go wrong. Mm. Yeah. We can't commercially make them anymore. It's just not, uh, it's not the way to go. Things, the, the world is di different now to what it yeah. was. Mm. Yeah. And did you always dive together? No. No, no, no. no. I, I was off and off around the world. Or, or when that went full time, it, it was full time. Mm. So um, being without a you know shed load of employees, you didn't take time off. There weren't holidays. It, no, was, yeah. just, it was just mm, you put in every hour was necessary to do the job. I used to have a off all the way to the environment. So yeah, any time you're having fun and, 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 and working hard. Do you want me to throw me a piece of kit and go try, try that out? Yeah. But you know what? It's it's that um, it did work very well. I mean, I remember there was one rebreed. There was a we do a lot of development of rebreathers for other manufacturers. Like, right. for example, we've mentioned in the past that um, the optical rebreather interface for the VR3 computer, that was us. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of the development of stuff behind the scenes, we don't just sell stuff, we mm. develop with manufacturers. And there was a rebreather that was manufactured, it was, it was made out of pure billet aluminium. It, was, it cost a fortune, and it was probably one of the best rebreathers I've ever seen in my life, as far as its construction, its design, and how it's made. And, and we integrated the Shewater Electronics within to this uh, rebreather for the manufacturer. Yeah. And the guy was brilliant and he was always redeveloping something new and he was always modifying it. Before he brought it to market, he wanted it perfected. Yeah. Probably a bit too much, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Sometimes you just need to get it to market rather than spend years developing. But anyway, this one was made of pure aluminium from Billet. And I remember doing a solid this. piece. Yeah, it was machined out of one solid piece. It was a work of art from an engineer. Yeah. You know, this was like, 
poor. It was proper pretty. So anyway, um, I dived on this, went down, and um, we had a primary controller, secondary display, and the head-up display. So essentially I had um, nine oxygen uh, cell readouts on this thing, all independent, all isolated. And um, I went down, got down the wreck, tied in the shot, sent up the anchor, and the computer system started showing errors. Okay, it's a prototype, and we just, we've been continuously developing. I'm always diving prototypes. I mean, my life insurance, the broker told me I was in the same category as a stunt pilot. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, um, you know, you dive in mixed gases on things that are, that are prototype and conceptual yeah, even wow. sometimes. So I'm looking at this thing, ah, well, okay, you know, I'll do a deal flush, I'll find out what's going on, and I'll sort it out. You've designed this, you've built it, you, you, you inherently know, know write down the algorithm of how this is firing on a solenoid. Yeah. You've been involved in that design. So I did a deal flush, and all nine readings were different. They should all be matching, all close matching. Yeah. But right. So I did a quick mental calculation. I was on 1050 Trimix, did a deal flush that depth. One of these should be the right one. None of them were right either. So <laughs> something seriously bad is yeah. happening with yeah. Long story short, came back to Nart Nart 90 Towers, put this thing on the bench, and told John my tales of woe. Found a bailout from this uh, deep dive. Um, yeah, I came back from this dive and there it is and John looked at it and he looked at the uh, the oxygen hose from the first stage to the solenoid and it was a MyFlex hose, it was all brand new stuff that we just got from uh, from Pete and the chrome had gone. All the plating, all the shiny plating off the end of the fittings, it's gone. So it's it's this this yeah. was brand new wasn't it? I said, yeah, you, you fitted it yourself John. So you've only done one dive. Yeah. And you haven't like dived in like the caves under Bucharest. <laughs> Well, the only way the plating could come off is with electroplating, reverse electroplating. Turned yeah. out that there was a single fault on the system to create a ground loop between the wet switches on the handset on my arm and the solenoid on my back, which created a, the voltage of the solenoid was seven volts. Yeah. That small seven volts was working was reverse. And because that electricity was going into the water, it changed the zero volt level of the controller and then floated all of the cell levels. Because it had no zero sensors knew where zero was anymore. Because of the electric current yeah. in the water, which then came, became a design change within the computer system. It was a long time ago. You know, but this is how we find things and we put them right in, yeah. in ways you never believed. But John just looked and said, must be a short on the solenoid. Boom, fixed. Well, because we saw some plating off a metal And this is how it works. And this is basically where, and that's, this is what really floats our boat. I, I guess it's yeah. why a lot of people send Especially this kit for us to, to review yeah. and look at. Sometimes when there's been accidents, we get involved. Um, other times it's just people's kits gone wrong. Yeah. So yeah. it comes here. Even if it's not manufacturers that we normally work with, people will send stuff because uh, we're brutally honest with people. Um, yeah. And actually, in this game, you need to be. Yeah. You shouldn't so, be pretty about things when it's not pretty. No, so yeah. for divers listening to this, what, do not, what can NART 90 do for them? Well, if you look at anything um, in the way of technology, the stuff that we that underpins the technology which they dive every day from JGI, yeah, JGR, um, Arivo, Liberty X. Yeah, 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 I mean, there's no reason. We name as many as you can. It's just a handful of So, uh, not so much Liberty. Um, so, JJCCR, XCCR, so, yeah. Revos, uh, some inspirations. Of, Think of all the rebreathers on the market, and mm. generally, and certainly if it has any sort of shearwater association, so shearwater huts, shearwater control systems, it all comes here. Right. Yeah. And you can service them. But not just that, yeah. I mean, we, we like, 
design the equipment yeah. manufacturing for the Aurora for VR3, right down to this kit out there that we've designed from scratch and built that have been used by DevGroup. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do here, um, you lot know, or people in the, you know, watching the podcast will know us as, uh, maybe think of us as a, as a dive shop, mm. which part of the way we are, yeah. um, but we're also research and development. Um, a lot of our technology and what we do never gets seen. It doesn't go on to mm. the open market. It ends yeah. up in the military yeah. uh, and other organizations. And, and that's a cool thing to know. I mean, when you get a purchase order for somebody, you say, can you make something special? So we do. And they say, can you make, you know, a lot more of them? can't tell you how many or whatever because it just wouldn't be right. And then you say, oh, what's that been used for? Yeah, um, we sent that over to the US and now DevGrew want more. Mm -hmm. Right, Naval Development Group, excellent, that's really <laughs> cool. Then you find out that some of your stuff's been used in the Zero-G simulator, the NASA Space Center. Then yeah. you find out, you know, and then somebody says, can you design this for the Royal Navy? Yeah. And you get a purchase order from NATO Research. Or, or you get a purchase order from the FBI. You, what, where's that? Can you make it? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, what we do, I mean, some of the stuff we do is, I mean, it's incredibly in-depth, yeah. I mean, um, one of the complete rebreather -re control systems that we've manufactured for a defense application, the feedback came back was that it's, what was it they actually said? Oh, so it's the best they, piece of equipment they've tested in, in years or something, yeah. Mm -hmm. That must make yeah. it. Well, I really hope that it does make it into service, I mean, there's new stuff, one day and you can say, we did that, mate. Yeah, that was us. And that's actually the nice part of this, right, is, um, something we've built and you walk into a dive shop in the middle of nowhere yeah. I mean I, you walk into a dive shop in Australia say yeah. and they go oh you're John Rattley you're not tonight <laughs> yeah. and you see some of your kit on the shelf yeah. mm. and that's nice and and nobody knows who the hell I am which is a good thing yeah, <laughs> yeah well I hate being on camera as I've told you guys and uh, here I'm on audio and on camera yeah. um, but having that sort of feedback and, and that yeah. experience for, for actually for any inventor to see their invention out there in mm. the world yeah. is must be what they yeah, want. yeah yeah icing on the cake yeah. yeah yeah so for recreational divers what can you offer and um, so we've spoken about rebreathers the more techy side yeah so. I mean, we've always sort of we, we started off as a basically a tech company rather mm. than uh, recreational um, we are a bit more recreational now um, at the end of the day there's there's people coming into diving you know we all got to start somewhere in diving yeah. um, we certainly catch them a bit later on when they come through the diving. So we've always left a lot of the recreational stuff to normal dive shops. Mm -hmm. um, but bit by bit, we are sort of um, helping more. I mean, the sheer waters have moved more recreational. The lines have moved. I mean, when we started oh, yeah, off, yeah, for sure. a rear yeah. breather was a technical piece of kit for people who did deep wreck, deep cave. Yeah. It wasn't a recreational. And it was no. seen as a dangerous piece of kit. I mean, even the inspiration had this terrible uh, nickname, the Yellow Box of Death, which is an awful name for it. Because to be honest with you, it wasn't. Right? I mean, rebreathers are not dangerous. They just can be used poorly, right? But at the end of the day, they always had a bad rep. But now you look at it, and a rebreather, and you look at some of the commercially available ones now, like your JJ, like your Arriva and stuff, and they are very, very safe. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're actually open to people starting out diving directly onto what was seen as elite tech kit. Mm -hmm. And I think the lines have shifted now that recreational now you know, uh, I suppose it started with even with Paddy doing a, doing a course with the dolphin. Yeah. You know, and there was the somatics that tried to come out into that. I don't know if they. Yes, they still going. Yeah, still going. That's great news. Um, so those um, semi closed rebreathers trying to break it into that. Yeah. Yeah. Mara's got the horizon now. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, kind of gets people. I mean, it's quite hard now. You say, uh, which rebreathers do you service? There's so many out there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's trying, to, trying to get your mind around how many there is. When we started, there wasn't many. Yeah. So, so, 
So as far as these, um, when you say it's recreational divers, where do you draw the line now? Well, we've seen friends, haven't we, move yeah. over now yeah. from, yeah, just open. But if you've got a rebreather, you're going to be thinking, right, where do I take the service? Because do you send it back to where you bought it from, like a manufacturer, or an independent person, people who, who can do Well, even then, we, we service for the manufacturers as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we have exceptional relationships with these manufacturers because we have an exceptional um, customer service mm -hmm. uh, reputation. Yeah. We don't let people down, it's as simple as that. So as far as servicing, we'll service anybody's piece of kit and we'll even do, we'll act as the manufacturer's representative and we'll service their kit for them. Yeah. You know, so they outsource it. So a lot of manufacturers do outsource it to yeah. us. Yeah, but we're fantastic at fault finding and diagnostics to a, to a level which is actually outstrips a lot of the manufacturers. Because mm -hmm. when you come around the factory, you'll see some of the technology we have sort of yeah. sitting around. Um, most of the manufacturers don't have this sort of kit that we have here. No. Uh, yeah, we'll cool. be delighted to show you some of the. You can pressure test here. Pressure test here. We can yeah. everything from full vacuum to, to ocean depth. I mean, to put it in a in a kind of a quick nutshell, in the lab we have the electronics lab. We have a full fan diagnostic kit right down the component level. We have computer-controlled chambers that can run simulated dives. It can, one of the chambers will do a repetitive dive to 150% of the depth of your equipment, repetitive 200 times, mm. fully automated. Mm. Put the kit in there and it will dive that kit 200 mm. times. It's a very, very stressful test for any dive equipment. Yeah. Mm. If you want to break something, give it to us. And we'll be able to break <laughs> but that's, our, you know, that's the kind of things we can do for R&D. We also have yeah. vacuum chambers, so we can back the stuff down. We can put in potting compound and things for ceiling, for ocean depths, and then obviously there are no air spaces within that. So right down to core component manufacture, we have that capability. Right. We also have in-house uh, EMC labs, and you'll see the EMC test kit at the, uh, the end, where we can simulate radio and conducted interference and okay. even measure that. So we have EMC that, test That probably labs. won't mean, mean a great deal to, to the listeners, um, but all the equipment, all the electronic equipment, even your equipment here, has to go through those tests. Mm. So we can make your equipment fail just from irradiating it, basically. Um, but all electronics have to go through that, and there's very few labs in the UK that have that capability. I mean, what if you put a, a mobile phone next to your piece of kit and it fails? That would, that would really be bad. What if you walk next to the radar, a Ferrona piece of kit on that boat and jumped in yeah. the water and it didn't work? So we can do all the tests to make sure that's immune yeah. and that it won't interfere with anything else. But we also do magnetic testing as well. We've got a room at the back which we won't go into. So we can do mag testing as well for magnetic fields and electric fields. Right, okay. So, so, so when people think of the dive shop, we it's are, but there's also a lot of other yeah. stuff going on in the background that yeah. we don't actually know about. Yeah. Exactly. And dive computers you service as well? Yeah, um, mostly the shear water systems. Mm -hmm. um, because, because of um, who we are and what we do, we, we're generally a little level above. We, we don't just change batteries. We do, I think, right down to component level yeah. on reproof systems. And we so. do that for any dive computer yeah. uh, uh, for any manufacturer. Right, okay. And you, you sell computers as well? Yeah, well, we've, we shall sell all the shear water systems. Okay. Um, from the very first one. Yeah, really? in the cabinet behind here, we've, uh, there's, there's every shear water there is. That's the first one right there. It hasn't got a front plate on it. You can see the electronics to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah this wow. one's that's a, that's a GF computer. It's like a big brick. Of a, <laughs> but that's, that, there was one generation it's before quite, that. That's like a brick. And there's only ever five made, and I can't get hold of one. I think Bruce, Bruce has maybe one or two. Wow. If you look on the internet, there's a site called therebreathersite.nl. It's run by Jean Willem Beck, who's uh, basically a historian. And there's a page on there about everything right back to whatever, you know, the very first rebreather ever. Yeah. 
Yeah, which would be surprising. Eighteen hours, doesn't it? Yeah. What about yeah. Um, open open circuits? So, say people who got I think they're getting into uh, twin sets, hmm. and they need to buy tanks, manifolds, harnesses. Yeah, we, we've, like we've always we've never got into that because it's um, uh, most dive shops. It's a thing where you want to try it on. It's mm-hmm. not something you generally buy off the layers, pointy devices, dresses, and things like that we haven't done. No. But for the dive computer side, you see. The majority of the electronics today, and this has always been right from the very first GF, I was about to say, uh, is there, right through the, the latest ones that we've got now, they're scalable. Okay. So you buy a Terek or a Perdix, and it is suitable for your open water diving. Yeah. yeah. Training level. Now, of course, as you um, talked to us about the paddy training, that you know, there's very little tables done now. And I remember when you have a pocket full of tables and stuff on a dive. But it's dive computers yeah. and software now. So these. Dive computers can be sold as open water standard dive computers. Yeah. And simply either it's already built in where you can unlock that function, just like putting an app on your iPhone. Mm. Yeah. That you can now add Nitrox capability, helium capability, yeah, it's even, and rebreathing. It's even more simple than that. So, I mean, you don't really have to unlock them anymore, they're fully unlocked. Um, but you have different modes. So, you have a recreational mode, and it yeah. removes all the complication of trimix numbers and. Yeah. You, you can simplify the look of a system straight away. Yeah. Um, Shear was quite unusual because they they started off as a very technical closed circuit computer. Mm. Uh, where most of the other computers in the market, they start off with recreational computers yeah. 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 and they're aiming to become technical. So they're adding more and more complication to a computer and it gets very unwieldy. The menu's a bit weird now because they're just adding to it. Because you can't take away the old, which was what it was based That's right. So yeah. Shearwater started a very complicated but done in a simplistic way. Yeah. And to make it recreational, they just close off some of the complication. Yeah. And make, yeah. It makes it a very usable, user-friendly computer. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've done it in a much better way to come from technical down rather than yeah. some mm. recreational up. Which yeah. is what I've done with mine. Mm. I've got a uh, Shearwater Perdix and I, I've got that on that set. Yep. I don't dive technical and... Uh, There's no need for you to have all the information there isn't, on the screen. No, so right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you go on holiday and somebody says, here, do you want to try this JJ? Do you want to try this expression? You put that on your back and you go and do a 40 meter you know, air dive yeah. on that rebreather. You can now switch it straight to CCR, air dilute, and enjoy your dive with a computer that's ready rigged. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're under yeah. supervision with those instructors and those dive leaders, yeah. but nevertheless, uncomplicated. Yeah. So it's a case of which computer do I buy? Um, any of these will do you, and they'll probably do you for life. Yes. And we can support you from the very beginning, from when you first put that on air, open circuit, right through to how do I plug that into my rebreather? Yeah. Which is what I, when I bought my, not off you, as uh, I was interested in buying a dive computer which would basically say right this is going to do me for my diving career uh, and the future protects me mm. uh, I don't have to then go buy another dive computer I mean um, we all say that though right this computer is going to last me forever and they go woo something, something shiny but us <laughs> divers do like our kit yeah you know yeah. and we yeah. do like shiny things yeah. before you know it, you've got a you know a, a shelf full of computers yeah. it's yeah. true yeah, yeah, but at least it's somewhere for people to start and then yeah. you can take them on a journey. I mean, look, you know, not everybody is like us, mm-hmm. equipment orientated, where they got out the latest, newest thing. You know, some people will make that computer last for years. Um, and we still, we're still servicing old Pursuit computers, which are 15, 20 years old, and they're still coming in. And I hate to see an old computer 
be out-serviced mm-hmm. whereas in the past but it, I mean, it does happen um, but I want to I want to see some I like to see the whole bits of kit still going so we're not talking in the realms of Microsoft when they go oh we don't know you know it's XP we don't longer uh, maintain oh, well, yeah, just cut you off. You know, yeah. for as long and, as we can and, we will and yeah divers do like look at you know I think of people who will have their BCDs for years you know right back to the old at May West mm. you know before BCDs and sometimes do like um, well, you can always tell the Yorkies I've died with a sun bleached uh, buddy commando, can you? Yeah, and, and they'll keep they'll want to keep hold of their dive computers, you know, for years to come. And it's good to know that you guys are there. Mm. Um, you can maintain them because yeah. otherwise, where uh, we, we we still look after things that um, the original manufacturers actually forgotten that they used to make. Yeah, with a big turnover of staff that they have, they haven't actually realised that this piece of kit was actually manufactured by yeah. them, uh-huh. and we still look out. We tend to try and hold quite a lot of old stock components. Uh, with Kithrig Reavers, there were some old, their old electronics was out of service. Um, so I, I still want to see these bits of kit going around for years. So yeah. I brought all the electronics from Kith, what they had left. That's uh, right, so we can look at that stuff. And you start to make friends. Yeah. And you start to know people within the industry, you know, and, and even from our discussions earlier, saying, it is actually a small world when you think about all the people that you've met yeah. still meet still know yeah. and still consider your friends yeah. Yeah. who dive your kit not because you gave it to them but because it works and you've mm. always looked after them yeah, and, and then they've appreciated that and become become something more than a customer yeah become a friend yeah we've certainly got customer you know we've called the called you know a customer um for 20 years but they're friends yeah you know yeah. And, and we've, we've worked to uh, help them out or Certainly in things like the cave diving community and um, the cave rescuers and, and things like mm. that, they've been known to us for a very long time. Yeah, and, and that says a lot about NARC to 90, so you know, you can Well, it brings us in and say, can you modify this? Can you change it? You know, yeah. And then you end up redesigning or rebuilding a rebreather head, and then suddenly you find out that person set a world cave record, and you think, get in, yeah. good on your lap. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did, I was contacted just yesterday, I can't I give any names, but by a cave rescue team. Um, with a new idea for uh, monitoring the breathing of an unconscious patient underwater in a cave. Mm-hmm. So you see, that takes us right back to those 1990 days where that's mm-hmm. what we used to do. Yeah. And that's what Lighty Fire, so you're always going to be that. You always want to be that. Yeah. And there's always going to be something new, isn't there, as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing that really gets me excited yeah. is to, to, to work with different people to, to get over a problem, especially if it's in the rescue scene or, or to helping people. I mean, we could all fall foul of those situations where you need help, right? Mm-hmm. Be it falling on a craggy hill one day or having a look in a cave and having a slip or yeah. whatever, whatever it happens to be, a flooded cave, you know. Well, you don't know how that's going. your dive boat on fire in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. So making systems and helping those people to, to get over those problems is what I, I sort of live for. Really. So a lot of the where our products come from, from the cell checkouts, we got a lot of the awards for, mm. for validating oxygen cells for rebreathers, where there was nothing like it in the, in the world. Nobody yeah. even conceived that, and we did that. I mean, right through to something as simple as the Pathfinder strobe that's behind you. I mean, if you think about it as a wreck diver, you go down on the wreck diver, and we always used to use Jotron strobes or something like this, and you'd put two or three of them on the shot line. Um, you, you, you know you're supposed to line off, but at the end of the day, a lot of the wrecks, it's not that easy to do so. Yeah. Right, and those kind of depths is pretty clear, and you negotiate your way around. But at the end of the day, it's still one of those hazards where people are making a risk assessment: do I line off, 
or do I strobe and then find my way? Because if you don't come back up the shot line, you're not going to be on the decal station. You're not going to yeah. be on the trapeze. Then you're going to be doing a free water ascent with an SMB on the surface. And the boat skipper's going to have to track two lots of people. You, you're a hazard to yourself yeah. Yeah. and to your colleagues. Yeah. Right? So we need a strobe where people aren't saying, well, I need to put more than one on the shot line in case it fails. Something that's actually ocean rated. Yeah. Made for divers, not just to be hardy on the surface. And a lot of the strobes were surface markers for people lost at sea. So it's more to do with boating rather than was diving. Yeah. Yeah. So you want something that's ocean depth that had a burn time that was as bright as hell that you could see from either end of that wreck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had to create the world's most powerful dive strobe world's most powerful stroke that's submersible and have it last a long time and have it so well made. Yeah, the technical challenges to, to do that is actually far bigger than you think of like to screw two things together and throw it in the water. It's not a torch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, each stroke took three weeks, four weeks to assemble um, with three or four different types of resin that had to be used in it. Um, the, the charging system to actually make it work so it wasn't a pipe, the bomb had to be completely designed because there was no charger on the planet to actually do it. And to create the kind of energy levels we needed for that stroke, yeah. for the strike in the arc of that power. Yeah. But it was even something right down to how do you clip it to the line? Mm, how do you clip it to the line? Because, you, well, think about it, you don't want it to move up and down, you don't want it to drop down and slide down into the dirt, into the yeah. uh, silter, into the wreck. So I had to clip on the line at a certain point, yeah. you know, and then you sit on a boat with a long line fisherman and you see how they put the clips on the line. That's a damn fine idea. <laughs> so we actually use long line fisherman's clips to hold the strobe on the line and those can hold a tuna or a swordfish. Yeah. It's a hell of a thing. It is. And it just does what it says on the tin. It doesn't need to be complicated, it doesn't need to be special, it doesn't need to be machined out of unobtainium and laser etched. It just needs to work and there it is and that's yeah. the kind of thing. It's, yeah, I mean, we could laser etch it. Yeah, can do. Yeah, have the lasers. Yeah, because you do uh, laser engraving. Well, we've got yeah. Well, there's a number of sort of industrial lasers upstairs. Um, I mean, every evil person needs a big laser in their life. Absolutely, <laughs> so it sort of goes with there. Um, so we've had, we've had lasers for. I think the first big laser we got was 2012, something like that. Um, we bought another one just before uh, 2019, I think it came in. Um, for so we can, we can laser cut material up to 30 mil thick. Uh, we can laser engrave, we can even engrave uh, materials in colour. Right, okay. So some of the most advanced laser uh, markers you can buy. Very, very clever technology. You take a piece of silver metal and turn it into, you know, 50 different colours wow. with the lasers. Yeah. But you don't really see, like, an exhaust manifold on, on a motorcycle, a chrome exhaust, and you see all the colours of purples and yeah. golds. Yeah. That heat changes the material. Okay. We can recreate that with a laser beam. And create those colours. Wow. You see, you see, it's actually even more than that. We 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 sculpt the surface with multiple frequencies, so it refracts um, different lights at different yeah. frequencies. So you can have a, you can almost actually have a, a rainbow effect when you look at the. the so for um, who would who would want who might want that type of? Well, I mean, there's, well, when, when we actually bought the laser, it, it, we, um, it's one of those things. Is you can buy a laser for marking any of your dive kit. Yeah, you, want to, you want to mark black plastic white, you want to mark metal black, yeah. so it's just something that was more flexible and of course it had much more capability. As soon as you, we found out that we could buy a laser that did colour, oh I've got to get that one, um, <laughs> it was, it was wow, it's amazing, you know, it's, it's an amazing piece of kit, so we could have brought a much cheaper one um, that just did black and white, but that one does colour. So we, we spent quite a lot more money yeah, on take it. A, take a shoe on a dive computer with a titanium bezel, Yeah. what colour do you want? Hmm. We, we, can, we can sculpt the, the, the titanium bezels to be 
90 odd different colours. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Or even rainbow, you can do it like tie dye. That'd be smart. So if divers want to customise their own kit and yeah, they certainly talk to us. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have done quite a lot of the, um, the coloured ones for friends, basically, mm. for people out of the community. Um, it's generally when somebody comes here and they see all these different coloured titanium bezels sitting around, the then they realise that they really want one. Yeah. 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 Well, so we've we got that one, you've got the CNC workshop there, we've got lathes and mills and we've got our manufacturing capabilities pretty cool. Yeah. And if people want to know more, where's the best place to go? Just email us, yeah. It's, um, so info at nafta90.com. Your website? Or through the website, through, yeah. Uh, that's probably the easiest for people. Naft at 90.com. Not naked at 90. And we, we still have uh, couriers come here. And I've had DHL argue with me at the door and say it's negative 90. I said, no, that's not, that's not <laughs> that's, who we are. I said, I, I can read. I said, you certainly can't. <laughs> said, that's far more to do with your psyche than it is with what the company oh, is. you're thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. It's one of those things. Is you, you know where the name came from now, so you can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's been really good to find out more about you guys and not at 90. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much. And if, yeah, obviously our listeners, yeah, just get in touch with you and... Uh, yep. They know they'll get a great service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they know. Like, we're not. Yeah, we don't shoot a straight arrow, really, do we? No, no. We're always good for a often but for yeah. a challenge. Yeah. So. But for people who are recreational divers and they're thinking about moving up into the uh, tech world, and you know, it's a good place to know that you guys are here. Yeah. Um, to well, we do. We look after. I mean, you think it's just something as simple as you're going to order some gas fittings because you're going to customise your rig. Yeah. and we'll go through those orders. I mean, we can't tell exactly what you're thinking, what you're doing, though. You know, we'll look at something and look at the gas fittings and think, I think I know what they're doing here. They're yeah. trying to fit yeah. this to that. And we'll we'll get in touch with you, ring you or email and say, are you sure you want to do this? Why are you doing this? All right, you don't want that fitting. That's wrong for a regular. Yeah, that that certainly is a day-to-day thing here. It gas, is. gas fittings and freds and all the different things that go with scuba and the industry um, standards, it, it's very confusing for people. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say save people from themselves, but sometimes you do. Yeah. Um, and some people just phone up and just ask for advice. And we'll give, a, yeah, we did, absolutely, yeah. So we'll give honest advice and, and it doesn't matter that I'll make more money on one than another, you'll get an, an honest. But you two have time served, you've done the dives, yeah. you've done the, yeah. you put the time, you've, you hit, you've got that history um, and you know, there's a lot of respect for that because yeah. that comes from time served in the water. Certainly, I mean, we, we, we get exactly the same advice that we. I mean, when we have OEMs come to us for advice, which you, we always find it strange. You're an expert in your field, but you're asking us, which is very flattering. Mm. Uh, but we want to help. But we give exactly the same advice to anybody who came in off the street. Yeah. If they need help, we'll help. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, no, I think that's brilliant. So. Uh, Good. Go to that website, nightdeck90.com. Yeah, we sell the products and stuff on there. Not all the mouse some of the stuff we retail, some of the stuff we make. Yeah. You know, it's probably um, after listening to this, people look at it in a different light and say, ah, I didn't realise that you were that, or that this came from you. I, yeah. I, I have no doubt that there's a lot of people diving out there without kit on and don't even realise because mm. we make it for another manufacturer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then it gets their brand on it. Um, but we, I, I watch people go around thinking, oh, look at me, I've got this on. No, you haven't. You've got my stuff on. You, <laughs> yeah. you see a cable on a rebreather. Nine times out of ten, they came from us. Probably yeah. more than nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 No matter who it is. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been good to hear. Uh, yes, yeah. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we hope you get some inquiries. <laughs> yeah, I just want to speak to people and let them see that they can have fun. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. Must I? Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I've done. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs> that's a wrap. Now that does wrap up today's episode of the Big Scuba podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.